Hi, I'm Corey of Conversations with Corey, who is ready for raw and honest conversations about life, faith, struggles, and things that bring you joy, things that make you furious. What have you overcome? Where does resilience come from? Join me as I have insightful, honest, and raw conversations with a variety of everyday people walking out their faith in truth and love. I can't wait. See you soon. Hey again, this is Corey of Conversations with Corey, and this is my story. So I really hope that you enjoy getting to know me a little bit better and kind of get an idea of why I feel so compelled to share with you the things that I have learned in this thing we call life, this crazy thing we call life. So I was born and raised in a small, very small, Northern California town and at the base of the Sierra Nevada mountains, which is a beautiful mountain range. Um, I grew up in a, a beautiful place and um, I lived in a, a few Northwestern um, states growing up, but mostly this one. And um, I graduated high school met my husband who of 35 years who was my high school sweetheart we were not in a place that we could have chosen each other um we were not mature we were only 18 years old when we got married and so that in itself is a miracle (laughs) and i say that not because uh, I say that because it truly is real. It's true. It, it, if you had known us in high school, we uh, or we were just not ready to be married, for sure. Um, and then we had our first um, child at the age of nineteen, so we were young. We were babies having babies. Eighteen years old married. Nineteen years old having our first. Twenty years old having our second. And every two years or so or less for the next 12 years, we had baby after baby. So we have, um, we had one at 19, 20, 22, 24, 26, 28, and 31. And if that makes you tired, I understand. <laughs> it, it, it was, it's a great blessing, but it definitely is a lot of work. We don't regret a single um, child and we have a real honor and belief that children are a gift and hopefully we are a gift back to our children. <laughs> um, but at any rate, we we married young and um, we worked through life together, growing up really together and we have for the most part really enjoyed each other we've done a lot of fun things together we're absolute opposites so i don't know if you and your spouse 
are exactly the same, but they say that opposites attract. And for us, I would say this is so true. My husband is an artist and a software engineer. That was he, what he used to do. And I, and if, oh, and such an introvert. He's just the quietest introvert, introvert person you've ever met, introverted. And he, he doesn't talk much, but when he does, if you know my husband, it is profound. So I don't know if you know anyone like that, but when they do say something, it's, you better listen. because It's profound. And in my husband's case, it's revelatory. He's very, very revelatory. And he's hilarious. He will just come up out of the blue with the funniest things to say that have nothing to do with anything in the room that's happening because he's in his mind, in his head, having these great conversations with himself (laughs) and thinks these thoughts to himself. And then you might get to hear these, you know, these great things. I, on the other hand, am the, the polar opposite in that I think out loud. And so everybody gets to hear everything that's going on in Corey's head, which is not always a good thing. Over the years, I have learned not to be such an out loud processor, but it is definitely not my nature to think and then speak. It's gotten to me into a lot of trouble over the years. And as I've matured and learned how to not do that, it has, it has been a yeah, I mean, sometimes I think I've gotten too quiet where I don't say what I really think. And I'm trying to kind of find that balance between saying too much and not saying enough. But here we are in this little tiny town in Northern California. We have our children. We move a few times across country to homestead come back to our family lives in Northern California and raise our kids. We were living in a town about an hour and a half from where I grew up. And my husband, who was working in a city nearby, was he was working like out of town, I think three to four days a week. And then he would come home Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then he'd go back to work and then come back. So he was gone about four days a week and then working out of town and then he'd come home. That enabled me to be home and be able to homeschool the kids and also put myself through midwifery school. And so his, um, let me go back a little bit. So in early in the, in the mid nineties, we got a letter about his mom. His mom had um, a, a degenerative neurodegenerative illness um, called Huntington's disease and we were notified in 1994 that his mom was positive for Huntington's disease and that it was genetic. So we did genetic counseling and decided to trust God with our lives because there was no cure and there is no treatment for this disease and there still is no cure and treatment for this disease even fast forward all these years. So we knew at some point my husband would, if he was positive for the same disease, would have to um, be cared for full time and would need lots of help living a happy life. Um, Living life at all alone would be impossible for him. 
And so about um, 15 years ago, my husband was tested for this disease and tested positive, which changed the trajectory of our life. It was as if the world stopped. It was as if the world became very narrowly focused and our whole our whole world kind of, I wouldn't say crashing down, but I would say it ceased for a minute <laughs> because it's a really devastating and big diagnosis. And so it takes a lot of processing and talking and planning to be able to deal with such a devastating diagnosis. It's a very, um, it's a neurodegenerative disease, meaning the brain breaks down over time. It's a long disease. So it's not like it's like, you know, with cancer or something, you can go get treatment in a few years and you're better. It's not like that. It, it can seem hopeless. It can seem uh, daunting because it's just so huge. It's just such a big um, change. And then it also is genetic. So it can affect all of my beautiful children. And that I think was the most devastating thought for us um, of all the thoughts we've had to contend with. I think that that thought was the hardest one. So I want to share a little bit about that um, and how that's come full circle to now. Um, so I actually care for my husband full time and I have now for the past five years. He was in a nursing home before that because I just couldn't work full time as a midwife and also care for my husband and he needed some stabilizing there. So um, that is <laughs> what I have been doing as I laid down my midwife hat and picked up my I'm going to love my husband and midwifing him um, in a different way, midwifing his heart, um, his, his journey. And that is kind of how I learned how to become the hero of my own heart. And, and, and I, and that is a, is a really cool and kind of a fun journey, believe it or not. In this devastating news, there can be um, great joy found in the deepest, darkest places. Because honestly, you really have nowhere else to go but up. <laughs> so I know it just sounds like, oh my gosh, that could be so depressing. But it's not depressing because I have hope inside of me. And I have made peace with having to surrender to something that I, I don't want to surrender to. Um, so <laughs> my husband went in for testing in 2009. And when we got the call to hear the result of those tests, I knew, I knew, I knew he was positive. I think I always kind of had a knowing that he was positive. He did not think he was positive. I always kind of knew he was. 
And in the back of my mind and heart, you just kind of know these things sometimes. And I just knew it. And we, we knew the call was coming in around noon that day. And so we had gone into the back room to pray and just to prepare our hearts, you know, for this news that we were about to get. And my, you know, we have seven children and our youngest at the time um, was just shy of eight years old. And I think she was seven. And our oldest was... Oh gosh, how old was she? She was um, older. I think she would have to have been like maybe 19 or 20. And so we still had six out of seven of our kids living at home. And we had gone back into the room to get this phone call. And we were just kind of holding our breath. And the we prayed and then the phone rang. My husband picks up the phone. He says, hello. We put him on speakerphone. And we say to the doctor says, I have the results. Are you ready to receive them? And we said, hold on, hold on. We're gonna just give us one second. So we put the phone on mute and we just once again said, God, whatever your plan is for this result, we just pray that you would have grace over our minds, grace over our children, and cover our hearts with your love because we knew that this could be a really big deal. And so with that, we took a big deep breath, took it off of mute, and we were told the results and that he was positive for this degenerative illness. And there you have it. <laughs> And for a little bit, we just kind of sat in silence because I think we both realized this is, this is just changed our life. This has just changed our, <laughs> our hopes, our future, our everything we thought we were going to do, you know, growing old together and, and, you know, retiring together and living in our little cabin in the woods and off grid and just the things we had hoped and dreamed to do suddenly just felt like they could be actually impossible. And um, that was hard. So one by one, we told our kids in age-appropriate groups a few at a time, and everybody just cried. And when we got to our youngest we told her and our youngest son at the same time together we got to our youngest and and we tried to explain in you know young child terms what this meant for our family and for their dad and and my youngest son just okay you know he understands and went off to do his thing and my youngest daughter runs into her room and we can hear this she runs down the hallway she runs in her room she closes the door and we hear her start to sing I mean this is like not something we were expecting and she is singing I'm never going to stop praising you, Jesus, Jesus. I'm never going to stop praising you, Jesus, Jesus. 
and we hear this and we are like sobbing like our tears are shooting out of our eyeballs and we are just sobbing because we are recognizing that she has so much faith she has so much faith and she has the faith of a child and she's doing what we probably should have been doing and it was so humbling for us and we just sat there and cried and cried and held each other and then the most extraordinary thing happened she comes back in the room we're still sitting there like we're sobbing our eyes out she comes back in the room and she says I understand what you're trying to say and we're like okay and she said Jesus just told me that he's going to heal daddy and I just looked at her and I said thank you for saying that (laughs) it just wrecked us because we realized that she had the faith to praise God in the middle of one of the hardest moments of our lives. And we learned in that moment that we could trust God for the outcome. And that it was true what she said, because whether we saw healing on this earth or healing in heaven, We know that one day there will be no more tears, no more sadness, no more disease, and only joy. And one day we will see him again whole. And that was the beginning really of this, I think I wrote in my journal at that time, like the the day when time stopped because it just felt like that hyper-focus I mentioned, it just felt like everything went into a hyper-focus where everything that wasn't really important just wasn't important anymore at all. And everything that was important was in hyper-focus. So one thing I will say about tragedies is that it definitely reorders priorities for you for us it puts it puts the right things first <laughs> it, it reorders our priorities so that we really um we really are understanding what's truly valuable and what's truly important you know the funny thing is it wasn't our careers It wasn't money. It wasn't a house. It wasn't all the things. (laughs) It was each other. It was our relationships. It was the, with each other. It was, it was our marriage. It was our children. It was our family. It was, it was love. It was making sure that we were all okay. That we were going to get through this together. So the next The next eight years were 
really just my husband just not really having a lot of symptoms per se. I mean, if you look at him now and you looked at him then, he didn't really have many symptoms, but I thought he did. I noticed every little thing I thought was a symptom. And that's part of it too, you know, you know it's there. So you're looking, kind of seeing it differently. But right around maybe seven years after his diagnosis, his personality, it really started to change. And it was really scary because this person that I had known from high school, I just didn't recognize. And I started to feel really alone in marriage and really alone in parenting. And just, it was a struggle for me. And, and I was trying to parent teenagers and that was really hard for me. Um, I was actually kicked out of my house when I was a senior in high school um, of my own doing. My parents just couldn't do it anymore with me. And actually, I don't blame them now. I look back and think, oh my gosh, what a brat. But <laughs> but I was trying to parent. I was trying to deal with this, this grief that just never ended in my heart. And I had gotten myself, um, I put myself through midwifery school. I graduated midwifery school. I had my own practice and I was loving doing that. But I just was losing connection with my husband. I was losing connection with with love. I was finding it hard to love this person that I didn't recognize anymore. And that was really difficult to do because he was just changing so much. And he didn't recognize it. And I was just sad about it. And... I think it came to a a head in 2017. We had actually relocated in 2016 to the East Coast. And in 2017, I was um, leading worship at our church. And during the worship set, the Holy Spirit had said to me, "Just, just pray to me quietly until you feel my presence don't start singing the song yet just be still until you feel me and so I did and um my husband who had been coming to church but not being very participant participatory I guess the word for a while he um he got up and he stood right in front of me and and just looked at me And I heard the Lord say, it's the anointing that breaks the yoke. And I'm thinking, what yoke? (laughs) You know what a yoke is? It's like that thing that like, if you were, um, you know, tilling your soil with oxen, they wear this yoke across them and that enables you them to like attaches this like pulley to them and it allows them to pull you and it's like what they carry it's this yoke they carry and it's heavy it's this wooden thing and the holy spirit told me it's the anointing that breaks the yoke and so i knew i understood that he meant that there was this yoke over us of grief this yoke over us of of just disconnection we had just become very disconnected and 
And I would even admit to you and confess to you at the time that I didn't really like my husband anymore. And I, and I for sure didn't feel in love with my husband anymore. And that's a really hard thing to say because it's nothing I would ever want to do ever again, (laughs) have to go through again. But it does happen sometimes in marriage where you don't get along and and you fall away from what you you what you fall away from love but <laughs> there's redemption in this story so hang on so uh that night um my husband when we got um home we were driving home we got in the car and and that night he um we were sitting in the car ready to go in the house from after church and he said I don't want to go inside and, and I said what do you mean and he said I'm afraid and I said what are you afraid of and he said I'm afraid of dying like what are you talking about like I just was like what are you talking about and Huntington's can affect your psychological state so his psychological state was really very manic at the time and and he wasn't medicated or anything yet and so I I just said we have to go in the house you know <laughs> to go inside I'm tired we need to go to bed and we went in the house and about 10 minutes later, he comes down holding this box and he hands me this box and it was full of, it was just, he had a rope and he was preparing to hang himself. He was going to take us a life. And again, that's the disease talking. It's not something that he would have done in his normal state of mind, but it, it, it's hard to express how devastating that was. It was like another time stopped moment where you realize that you have to lean upon God to get through or you won't get through. It's just one of those moments like this is so much, God, this is too hard. So I called 911. He was taken to the hospital and he spent the next 10 months um, in the hospital and then a recovery like nursing home situation where he could get stable. And it was the hardest 10 months of my life and I'm sure his, but it also brought me a season of peace because I was just having to hold so much together, even in my own emotions, in my heart. The care for him hadn't been hard necessarily in the physical, but in the emotional and in the spiritual, it was rough. And for the first time in my life, I was by myself with two kids, still homeschooling them. I had a job, I had babies to catch and and people to see and I had to be there for them and that was really <sighs> those ladies were like my saving grace they brought me life and and joy but it was it was hard it was a hard season and I remember laying in bed the first few nights when he was gone and I'd never been without my husband my whole my whole life I'd been with my husband from high school forward and I was laying there. I just felt so terribly alone in my bed. 
And I began to seek the Lord. And the Lord began to draw me back to his heart, draw me back to truth. And I was reading 1 Corinthians 13 one day, and I read, I've read that verse so many times. And it said, love never fails. And I, you know, that's the funniest thing. I've probably read it a million times and I've, I never saw it like I saw it that day. It like bounced off the page at me. And I, I thought to myself, I don't, I don't know this love. I don't know this love that doesn't fail. I don't think I've ever had it. I don't think I've ever known it. And I stood there in by myself in in awe, realizing that I didn't know love. That I've been trying to love out of my own self, out of my own feelings, out of my own history. And I didn't have this kind of love. And so I, I repented and I told the Lord I was sorry for not loving the way that he expected me to love. And I, I told him I was sorry withholding love from my husband and, and harboring those feelings of anger toward him, even though he couldn't help himself. It's still hard. And I understood that he wasn't meaning to do those things, but it's still hard to divide and separate the husband you knew from the one that you see in front of you. It's just hard. And I asked the Lord in that moment to give me the love that I didn't have. And just like that, just like that, he just poured out his love over me and there was a grace that came with it that I can't describe. (laughs) So there I was standing in my living room having been given this gift of grace this gift of no work, this gift of love that came from God because God is the giver. God is the maker. God is love in himself. And so God poured out this gift of love over me and I've, I've, I've honestly, I wish I could say it was like some lightning strike, but it was just that simple. It was me admitting that I I couldn't love that way, that I didn't love that way. It was me confessing to my Father in heaven that I, I needed this love because I didn't have it. And then it was simply a gift that was just given back to me. And it's restored my heart in a way that I want everybody to know that love actually doesn't fail. It's the one thing that's foolproof. It's foolproof. It can't fail. You can't go wrong with with love. And I remember at one point I was 
falling back into like that. Oh no, you know, what if I, what if this feeling goes away? Because I had this absolute love for my husband that I have not had in, in years. Just this grace was over me. And I, and I said, Lord, what if this goes away? heard him say in my heart, Corey, you can't lose what you didn't earn. And I realized that I hadn't earned that love, that it was a gift from the Father, that I hadn't earned it, so I couldn't lose it. It was such a revelation to me that I didn't have to work for this. And so that is how... (laughs) My life changed. It just, again, my life keeps turning on these big moments of these big downloads of information. But this was different. This wasn't something I had to work out or work toward. This was just me simply saying, I'm sorry that I've not asked you to give me the love that you so freely want to give to me because I was trying to love on my own and my love on my own wasn't wasn't great but with the love that God has given me the grace that God has given me I have been able now to take care of my husband I brought him home uh, five years and four months ago and I have not had a single hiccup a single hiccup a single moment when I have not wanted to take care of him not wanted to that I haven't had the grace to do it or the love to do it. It's never gone away. There is a love that doesn't fail. And and <laughs> there's not there's not a the only perfect love is that love. The only love that doesn't fail that is is the love that comes from the Father. The Father of lights that has everything to give us if we would just humble ourselves and ask and so I I took him home from the nursing home and brought him home and and um faded out of my career as a midwife which was one of the hardest things I've ever done and yet it wasn't hard to lay down my life in that sense my career the things that I had worked so hard to do and and B, it, in that moment, it just made sense. Nothing else mattered. And as I laid down my life, really, truly laid it down, my midwife hat, you know, who, who I, my social life in some ways, and sometimes even your friend circle has to kind of go away when you, do radical things like that but I've never looked back I've never regretted I I don't regret laying those things down because the result has been really beautiful and it's tangible and it's measurable if you knew me when I was in the stage with my husband where I didn't like him And I was admitting, you know, I didn't really even love him anymore. I was bitter. 
if you knew me then and you know me now, it's 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 undeniable. <laughs> People have said like, it's so crazy to watch that transition. And it, it is for me too, because it's not something that I, again, that I earned or did. It's something that God did sovereignly through me. And, and I, I understood what it meant when, when Yeshua, Jesus said, this is love that you would lay down your life for your friends. I understood that love was sacrificial and that's what it looks like. Love looks like something. Love looks like something. It looks like laying down your life for someone else. And in my case, it's my beloved, the one my heart loves, the one that I chose at 18 years old when I barely could make a right decision. The one that I continued to choose even though it was hard. The one that I chose again when he was sick. And the one that I choose now as I caregive him and, and walk him from this life into the next. I do that because of love. I do that because my children are watching me. I want to inspire them to not be afraid. To be full of joy and full of life and to to see that every breath that we have in our lungs is a gift from God. It's a gift. And I want them to see love in action. I want them to know what love really looks like. And I hope that's what they see. I'm imperfect, I fail, I make mistakes, I have to ask forgiveness, I'm human. But I hope that what they see in the grand scheme of things is that I love God, I love their Father, and I love them with all my heart, and I would do anything for them. So that's, that's part of my story, but that's a turning point in my life. I hope it brought you hope. I hope it brings you inspiration. I hope it leads you to ask for that same love. If you haven't been feeling like you've had enough to do whatever you're doing in your life, whether it's taking care of your, your husband or your, your own self or your children or a parent, I hope that it gives you something to ponder and I hope that it brings you that spirit of resilience that comes from the grace for the daily, the grace for the everyday. And yeah, so that's my my story today and thank you so much for listening to this podcast if you like what you hear again come back and 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 there'll be more content and i'm excited to continue to share with you as we grow together in the grace of god
Hey, this is Corey. Thank you so much for listening today. And if you liked what you heard, consider giving me a follow. Have a wonderful day. See you next time.